All right. Um, very good. Very good job, everybody. Hey, uh, I want to just give a quick uh, shout out to our video and media people. Um, they, they are uh, working with a very new sound system that is being tweaked. Um, uh, uh, they're working with new video. It's half installed. And so uh, I see the struggle you guys are having up there. And I just appreciate you. I appreciate you hanging in there. And you got lots of grace for all that. Okay, um, for those of you who don't know me, um, I am uh, Steve Keller, Pastor Steve, and I have been a pastor now for, golly, a long time. I'm in ministry since 1989, um, and you would think that I would be kind of well-versed and, and have all the wedding stuff figured out. I mean, I've married, gosh, 50 to 100 people by now. I myself am married. Um, and, uh, but, but for the first time, I have got, a, uh, one of my kids is getting married, and she, she gets married, yeah, in August. And, and so, you know, when, when this whole thing started off, I thought, oh, you know, I mean, I've, I've been here, done that, this is going to be a piece of cake. And I, I've humbly discovered that there is a whole lot to putting a wedding together. Um, any and all of you who have done this before, it's incredible. It's just incredible how much there is. And Jane and I lately, it's been so big that we, we've even dreamed about different aspects of, of the wedding. By the way, is it me or do I sound bassy to anybody else? Okay, yeah, I'm a little bassy. If you guys can pull that bass down a little bit. Um, so anyway, uh, the, the other night I had this dream and Ellie came up to me and she said, <laughs> yeah, that was a little much, no bass there. But so anyway, um, Ellie comes up to me in this dream and, and, and she's in tears. And she said, Dad, Dad, the worst thing has happened. And I'm like, Ellie, what's happened, sweetheart? What's going on? She goes, the wedding is off. The wedding is off. And I said, the wedding's off? You've got to be kidding me. What, what happened? What happened? And she said, Jacob and I, and Jacob was the juggler who was up here playing the drums earlier. Jacob and I, we had the worst fight, and the wedding is over. And I said, Ellie, come on. You know, we're Christians, and God's a God of reconciliation. And, you know, sometimes... People who love each other get into an argument, and I'm sure you can make this up, you know. No, Dad, no, 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 the wedding is off, it's off. And I said, well, listen, then we need to go talk to Jacob. Come with me. So Ellie and I, in the dream, go marching off to find Jacob, and uh, Ellie goes, there he is, there he is, Dad. So I walked up to him, and I said, Jacob, and then I stopped, and I turned around to Ellie, and I said, Ellie, that's not Jacob. And she went, oh, it's not? Okay, everything's fine then. I woke up and I said, Jane, this is, I'm going crazy. This, so anyway, to all of you parents who have been there before, I really, I, 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 I get it. I get it now. I get it. So, all right. Um, having said that, I want to welcome all of you back to our, uh, our sermon series in Acts. We are now at chapter 19. Um, and I probably should have said this at the beginning of the series, but it just struck me this last week. Most of us most readers of the Bible find the book of Acts to be absolutely gripping. I mean, it's just a book that grabs you like very few books of the Bible do in whole, and, and there are a lot of reasons for it. I mean, one reason is that the book of Acts is the fulfillment of so many of God's ancient promises. You know, your promises that we read of in the book of Joel and Isaiah scattered throughout the Old Testament, they come to life right in the book of Acts. And so it gets us. Um, another big thing that grabs most of our hearts here is that we finally get to witness. 
the salvation of Jesus Christ just being poured out over all these spiritually thirsty people. And it's just incredible from the numbers to to who's getting saved to see this. Um, But it's also a, a new dawn of faith and ministry for God's people. And so you get to see all of these people who are just like us, who, who come to life in Christ and they grow a little bit, and now here they are out on the streets in the book of Acts, and they are ministering like Jesus. I, I think it's phenomenal. Um, we, we also witnessed the birth of missions in the book of Acts. I mean, before Acts, there really are no missions, but now the gospel is just spreading all over the place. So you got all that, and then, then you have all the controversy Um, the persecution, you have the resistance, and then the glorious breakthrough. Just page after page, chapter after chapter. And to me, the whole thing feels like, it just feels like being in the delivery room in childbirth. You know, there's, there's all this joy, and there's all this activity, and all this busyness, but th- th- there's also kind of a lot of mess in the, the, uh, the delivery room as well. And I'm not going to go into the mess, but... Um, Today in, in Acts chapter 19, we are going to come upon one of the biggest messes that Paul ever had to deal with, and we're going to see what he did about it. So it's just seven verses of Scripture today, Acts 19, 1 through 7. While Apollos, remember Apollos from last week, was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior, and he arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. John said, or or Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Acts 19, and and I confess, as I have all week long studying it, that this is one of those stories that just tickles my funny bone all the way through. And yet I thank you for some powerful lessons that come out of just seven verses of Scripture. And today we, we ask you to give us ears to hear your word and hearts that, that the doors just swing wide open to receive all that you have for us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, in, uh, in Acts 19, we, we pretty much have a straightforward story. And what I mean by that is, it, the action all kind of makes sense. We, we start off with Paul, and Paul is in his full apostolic mode here. You remember we, we've talked about how Paul is pretty much a creature of habit in ministry, and so, so he's doing the same thing he's been doing for the last several chapters. You know, he's traveling from place to place, town to town, and he is uh, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to both Jews and to Gentiles. And, and Paul is preaching the cross, okay? He, he, he says this to us, you know, I knew nothing when I was among you except the cross, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that, that's what Paul knows here. That's what he preaches. Jesus Christ came, He died, He was resurrected, and now He's bringing eternal life to you. And everyone who believes in Him, everyone who invites Him to be Lord and Savior, they are saved. Paul's simple 
Billy Graham-esque type of crusade here. And, and he just, people are, are rescued from, from sin and death and hell. They are brought to glorious life. They become children of God, and, and they inherit eternal life. So Paul has been doing this. Now, the one thing he does at the end of these messages and, and these little meetings in the synagogue and out in the open air is that after that time, he will then take those Christians who just came to Christ, and he'll gather them into churches. Um, Paul sticks around for a little while. He instructs them. He raises up leadership. And then Paul moves on to the next city. And, and the, the only kind of extra here is that he will return to every church that he plants and he founds, and he will do some further training. Um, he will encourage the believers and as we know from Galatians and Corinthians, at times he will deal with problems in these churches. This is what Paul has been up to again and again and again. Now, the only wild card in all of this is that um, while Paul is doing the same thing, every town he enters into is a new situation, and it brings a very new challenge. And Acts 19 brings a challenge like we have not seen before as Paul makes his way into what is famous to us, the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus, just so you know, in time, Ephesus will go on to be like a power player in the church, okay? Um, the whole center and focus of the Gentile mission is going to happen af out of Ephesus, okay? That's what this city will become. But Ephesus does not start out that way. Um, in fact, Paul walks into the city, and, and immediately he meets up with a group. Uh, he, he meets up with a group of 12 people who identify themselves as disciples. And, and we read this for the first time, and we think, oh my gosh, fantastic. This is a really encouraging beginning for once, you know. Paul at last, he, he's got a head start. You know, he's not starting from scratch. He comes in and voila, 12 disciples. And then Paul asked them a question, okay. Now, Paul asked them a question to see where they are spiritually, okay. They call themselves disciples. So, Paul wants to find out where, where are you in this process of discipleship, okay? If we rank disciples from one to 10, what number do I give you guys? And, and what he's doing here, it's kind of like baseball tryouts for little boys um, or, or softball tryouts for little girls. You know, you bring the players out on the field, you have them throw a little bit, catch, hit the ball. You're just trying to find out what gaps there are in them, what they need to learn, how ready they are to take the field. So, Paul asked them a simple discipleship question. And the question is, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Their answer, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit, okay? Record scratch, stop the bus, hold the mayo, crickets chirping everywhere. Okay, Houston, we've got a major problem here, all right? You remember last week, Chris talked to us about Apollos, uh, and Apollos is, is someone who comes on, on early in the scene, Acts uh, 18. He steps in, into the scene here, and, and Apollos is preaching on the streets, okay? And we can tell when we watch Apollos in action in, in Scripture that this guy is pretty gifted. 
He's really committed to the cause. But as Chris rightly pointed out, Apollos had some gaps, okay? He, he, he was not quite ready for prime time, but we do read something encouraging about him even early on. In verse 25, it says that Apollos spoke accurately about Jesus and he was aglow with the Holy Spirit. So Apollos really is a guy on the way when we meet him early on. Uh, Apollos, though, does need some attention. He needs some discipleship, okay? He needs some instruction and some training. Thank God for Priscilla and Aquila. They take Apollos under their wing, and, and this guy really, after, after a little time of discipleship, he goes out, and man, he is really something for Jesus Christ. That was Apollos with his gaps, okay? These guys in Acts 19, they don't have gaps. They have a grand canyon, okay? That's what we have to understand that they say in verse 2, they are disciples, all right? But they've never even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Okay, we have a big problem. Here's why. If they had any Old Testament, they would have heard about the Holy Spirit, okay? Believe it or not, the Holy Spirit is all over the Old Testament. Now, now here's what I mean by all over the, whole, uh, the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is mentioned in Genesis Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Haggai, and Malachi. The Holy Spirit is not just mentioned, but there's instruction about Him over 200 times in the Old Testament. These guys have no Old Testament background at all, okay? And yet they're disciples. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? They, they come right after this period. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in those books, the Holy Spirit is a major teaching. Even, even the book of John, right? He's got chapters dedicated to the Holy Spirit. Um, they are living in the time of Acts, right? In Acts, the Holy Spirit is like the star of the show, right? He is a major player. So here are disciples, and they have had they have absolutely zero background in the Word of God. But they've also had no exposure to Jesus. They couldn't have because Jesus pointed to the Holy Spirit constantly. He moved and ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit exclusively. And he poured out the Holy Spirit on believers abundantly, liberally. These guys have no word, and they have no Jesus. But, but then we come to the matter of John's baptism, okay? They claim to have, have undergone John's baptism. And it doesn't compute at all. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, because John himself, while he was baptizing... He said this, for example, Matthew 3, 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one more powerful than I, Jesus, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So Paul hears this. We've been baptized into John's baptism. Pa Paul's reaction is like, what John are you talking about? You know, you're talking about John Adams, you're talking about Johnny Appleseed. Are you talking about John Bon Jovi? Because John the Baptist was, well, maybe not John Bon Jovi, but John the Baptist was all about this Holy Spirit that you've never heard of. 
So this claim that they're disciples, but they've never heard of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't make any sense, you know? It's, it's, like, it's like someone saying, hey, I'm an auto mechanic, bring your car to me. And you bring your car over to them, you throw open the, open the hood, and you say, you know, the, the noise is somewhere in, in, in there, in the engine. And they go, the engine? What in the world is an engine? I mean, the, these guys are that clueless. And so the question is, who or what are these guys disciples of? They have no word. They have no Jesus. They, they, they obviously have an extremely loose connection to John. They've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. So what you have here in Acts 19 is just a gigantic mess. What in the world is Paul going to do about this? Well, Paul doesn't freak out. They're obviously eager. They're willing. They want to represent God. So Paul simply fills in their Grand Canyon with the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul teaches them who Jesus is. He, he shares with them about the Holy Spirit. He, he, he talks to them about the Word of God. He introduces them to Jesus. And they accept Jesus, they receive Him, and they are baptized into the name of Jesus. And once that happens, Paul simply lays his hands upon them and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. The Holy Spirit overwhelms them. And these guys begin to speak in other tongues, and they prophesy. That is Paul's solution to this gigantic mess. I mean, just like that, the mess is cleaned up, and these guys can now go on to become real disciples. They called themselves disciples before. They can get discipled. And they go on by all accounts and history, looking at Scripture. These guys go on, and, and they do get instructed. They do become disciples. In fact, Almost every church historian points to these 12 men, uh, these 12 guys, as becoming the nucleus of the Ephesian church, which goes on to be just this powerhouse for Gentile missions. So this great big mess has this wonderful happy, story, happy ending. Kind of cool, huh? All right, well, the question for us, though, is, all right, that is a great story, Steve. Really enjoyed that. Um, great big mess, get cleaned up, but what in the world does any of that or all of that have to do with us? I mean, we're in the room, we've heard of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, we have been baptized into the name of Jesus. We, we really are more like modern-day disciples, so what are we supposed to do with this? Well, reading it this week and praying over it, I was hit with, with two takeaways, and both of them deal with modern-day church messes. Now, one of these has to do with dogma, okay, dogma, and the second one has to do with the dogmatic. So let me get into both of these, okay? Dogma, I'll define it, dogma is not a puppy's mother. Okay, let's start there. <laughs> wah, 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 boom, there you go, Mark, that was for you. Okay, um, but, but dogma instead, here's what dogma is. Dogma is a principle or a set of principles that is laid down or given by an authority that is undeniably true. Okay, that's what dogma is. So, in other words, when it comes to this word dogma, these are truths that you cannot dispute. You cannot argue them away. Um, they are, and I'll go ahead and say the word, word in American culture, they are absolute truths. And our culture today likes to say, hey, you know, uh, uh, there is no absolute truth. You know, we're a postmodern uh, group of people, and it might be absolute for you, not absolute for me. Listen, absolute truth absolutely exists, all right? You can call that yellow thing 
that rises up in the sky anything you want to, okay? But the bottom line is it is the sun. It gives warmth. It gives life. That is an absolute truth. What we get here, yeah, yay for the sun, right? Okay, so here what we're presented with in Acts 19 is a dogma, okay? It is an absolute truth regarding the Holy Spirit. The absolute truth is this. The Holy Spirit is essential to Christian life and Christian mission. The Holy Spirit is vital to spiritual life and spiritual mission. That is an absolute truth, okay? We give it to you from the Word of God. Here's a few places we, we see this. John 6, 63 Jesus said, the Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. Now, I'm going to ask you a very important question. You can think about it. How many times does something have to appear in Scripture for it to be true? Once. It's absolutely true. God only has to say something one time for it to be true. An emphatic statement like this. But guess what? With this one, it's not in Scripture once. It's in Scripture all the time. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. Jesus has made us ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit, again, the Spirit gives life. Ephesians 1, 13. You were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with a seal. What is that seal? The promised Holy Spirit. Take a look at Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. What happens on that day? Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit. Every welcoming heart is brought to glorious life. You see the evidence of it. You hear the specific nature of it in Scripture. Here's another one. Putting them both together, both life and mission. Galatians 5.25. The flesh counts for nothing. Meaning... This flesh cannot bring me to life, and it cannot accomplish anything for God. It counts for nothing. But uh, uh, the flesh counts for nothing. So let us live by the Spirit, and let us stay in step with the Spirit. Life and mission inextricably connected to the Holy Spirit. So again, the dogma regarding the Holy Spirit is twofold here. Number one, without the Holy Spirit, we cannot be saved. We cannot mature into fullness. We cannot grow up into the life of God without the Holy Spirit. Essential. The second truth is that without the Holy Spirit, we cannot accomplish anything for God. Anything whatsoever. And so what does that mean for the church today? Well, it means this. It means any fear of the Holy Spirit and There is fear in some wings of the church over the Holy Spirit, but any fear over the person of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, any division over the Holy Spirit, okay? One denomination goes one way, another one goes another one. Any division is senseless, and it's idiotic. Now, you might say, Steve, what a terrible thing to say. You're a pastor. You shouldn't say that. But listen, I don't don't think that that, that, uh, it is a dogma. It is an absolute truth. As we've pointed out here in times past, the Holy Spirit is not a charismatic thing. The Holy Spirit is not a Pentecostal thing. The Holy Spirit is a Christian thing. And that just leaps out of Acts 19. We can't come to life and we can't do anything for God without the Holy Spirit. 
And so for the church today to brush aside the Holy Spirit or, you know, to read around the Holy Spirit in Scripture, go the other way when the Spirit of God shows up, it is as ridiculous as these 12 men calling themselves disciples with no Holy Spirit, no Jesus, no Word of God, absolutely not understanding what John was talking about. And so what do we, the church, do? What do we do with this dogma? What do we do with this truth? We embrace the Holy Spirit. And we keep, we, we hold the Holy Spirit close to us all of our days down here. We hold on to the truth that the Holy Spirit is God. And we need the Spirit, all the Spirit, not just the parts of the Spirit that make sense to us, not just the parts that are within our safe little boundaries. zone. We need the Holy Spirit in His fullness. We really do. I know it's easy to answer back to this and say, okay, but Steve... What about all those Christians out there, though? What about all those Christians who abuse the ministry of the Holy Spirit? You know, some of those guys on TV, some of those people we've run to. What about all those people? What about them? (laughs) Let's just make sure we don't. You know, that's kind of the answer to that one, right? Well, what about all those people who get unbiblical with the Holy Spirit? Well, what about them? You know, let's just stay within the boundary lines of Scripture, Let's help them out when we get a chance, but let's embrace the Holy Spirit as a people. Let's journey into the joy of the Holy Spirit. Let's enjoy the ecstasy of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God who gets life. We want to embrace this dogma of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's really cool that a Presbyterian is talking to you about this. I just think it's fantastic. Okay, so so we do that with the dogma. But then for for the love of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, let's not take that dogma and then become dogmatic, okay? This is a very, very different can of worms here. Dogmatic is when we wrongly come to conclusions connected to a truth, and then we begin to insist upon it as if it was just the way it is for everybody. Key words that you associate with the dogmatic are uh, rigidity, um, uh, dictatorialness, uh, personal opinion. And I'll tell you this, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, the Christian church has been guilty of being very dogmatic when it comes to the Spirit. And this happens on two extremes, by the way. Uh, On one extreme, I grew up with this, um, in more the, the traditional church, there's this extreme prejudice this extreme bias against the Holy Spirit. I've made the joke before, it's probably not that funny, but the, the kind of church I grew up in a kid was that if the Holy Spirit showed up in that church, we would have put a visitor badge on him and we would have sat him down in the back of the church because that's, that's about as much as he can do there. So there's that, that extreme prejudice against the Holy Spirit. I was reading this week, uh, one of the major commentators, many of you would know his name, he's very traditional, he actually wrote this about Acts 19 and looking back at Pentecost. He said, the kind of baptism described in Acts 2.38 is not intended for the church today. You want me to read Acts 2.38 so you can can listen to what he's talking about? Here's what Acts 2.38 says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we all know what his hang-up is, okay? His hang-up is the gifting of the Holy Spirit. The fact that the Holy Spirit might move and somebody does something that I'm not comfortable with, we get that, that, that what, he's, what he's talking about. But he just said the baptism in Acts 2.38 is not for the church today. Did you, did you hear the baptism? 
um, repent. We, we no longer need to do that anymore. Uh, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Due to this brother's fear and rigidity, he is making a colossal dogmatic blunder. And the problem is he is affecting a whole lot of hearts and a whole lot of minds with poison against the Spirit of God who gives life and brings us into mission. That's messed up, y'all. It's really messed up. Now, just so you know, we also need to look at the other side for a minute. Sometimes you can also get dogma on the other side of this, though, on the Pentecostal charismatic side. Sometimes even charismatics and Pentecostals can be guilty of of, of dogma. And I'll give you a few examples. Um, You may have heard this said before. Baptism in the Holy Spirit only comes through a second encounter in Christ. That's an example of of spirit-filled or charismatic dogma. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is always followed, always followed by the evidence of speaking in tongues. You cannot be baptized in the Holy Spirit without someone laying hands on you and praying for you. Now, listen to me. Does that happen in Scripture? All those things? Absolutely. Some of us, when we were filled with the Holy Spirit, that was our experience, you know, someone laid hands on us. Uh, you know, it was absolutely a second encounter. Maybe we did speak in tongues. You know, I know I did when it happened to me. But, but listen, to turn that into dogma for every single person, it's just not right. Because God meets people. This is the glory of Jesus in the Gospels. You know, it's not like one size fits all. You know, okay, Pat Basson, here's the formula for you. And uh, Gary, did you hear that? Because that was every encounter with Jesus is different in the Gospels, isn't it? The same is very true of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on all those peoples, is actually quite different from Paul's experience with the Holy Spirit. Quite different from from these 12 disciples. The point is, God meets people in, in very different ways. We experience the Holy Spirit differently. But the point is, though, when it comes to being touched or filled or baptized or overwhelmed in the Spirit, the bottom line is, It never happens apart from Jesus Christ. And any encounter with the Holy Spirit is never going to contradict the Word of God, ever. All right? So we need to be careful just on the other side, as most of us are. We need to be careful about not becoming dogmatic about the Holy Spirit because it makes a big old mess in people's lives. So So what do we look for then when it comes to to the evidence of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit? How do you know if you've been filled or the person next to you has been filled? Well, there are things that we look for. Number one, we look for the inward fruit of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. All the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. I hope I didn't forget one. But we look for all that, right? There is simply a holy goodness inside of somebody that was not there before. Flesh could never have, have done that and enriched them from the inside like that. We also look for the outward evidence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. And yes, I am saying that there is a power in their life that was not there before. There is a power that flesh just could never generate on its best day. And and listen, this is one of the things I pray. You know, I pray for revival a lot. You know that, Barry. But I pray for revival. This is one of the things I pray for the church, that we will pick up the power that has been given to us through the Holy Spirit. I'm one of these crazy people. Uh, Hey, you're not supposed to clap at my craziness. No, I know you're But 
I, I, I'm, I'm a crazy person. I really believe that revival has already been given to the church. It's a matter of stepping up into it. I believe that's the promise of the Holy Spirit. And that's my prayer as a church. Just, I man, let's don't be ashamed to worry what people think. Let's just step in into these rivers, into this power that's been given to us. Another thing, another evidence of the Holy Spirit is that when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit and, and people worshiping fully and freely, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, when you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't, need, you don't feel a need any longer to run away from that or try to explain that. Just enjoy it. We enjoy the, 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 the rich gift of God. Um, we can also now, here's another evidence of the Spirit, we also now have the ability to worship like a house on fire when we are so moved by the Spirit. Man, when I grew up, when I grew up, it was like this, you know. If anybody had their hand up in the church, they were asking a question. That was it, you know. But seriously, when we encounter the joy and the, the, the richness of, of God's Holy Spirit, we can worship like a house on fire without shame. It's a beautiful thing. You know what else we can do? We can also stand with God in the midst of storms in a way we never could before. I mean, we can feel like, the, like, like all of hell is coming against us, but man, with the Spirit of God in us, we have an ability to stand on, the, on just, just like a rock with God. Amen. Our heart also begins to grow toward the things of God. It begins to lean toward the things of God in a way it never did before, and yet on the other side of that, our hearts also become very strongly convicted about things that aren't of God. Again, that's the gift of the Spirit. I tell you another thing that blew me away when I first got filled with the Holy Spirit is I started praying with these people and they pray for healing. These people meant it. They believed for it. And you know what? They saw it happen. Again, a gift of the Spirit to the church of Jesus Christ. My favorite part of the, of, of the Holy Spirit, just the filling of the Spirit, is that we do grow richer. We do grow sweeter inside, day by day, season by season. And then when it comes to that world out there, we grow more loving toward that world. We grow more generous toward a world full of lost people. We even get less narrow. And I don't mean that we start calling things that are sin, not sin. But I mean our narrow, narrowness and wanting to judge them and condemn them and lock that lock away. And this stuff just starts drying up and going away. We begin to really love a world full of broken, lost people. Guys, that, that is the heart of Jesus Christ. That's the heart of Jesus. And so, so we, the church of Jesus Christ, and we, the children of God, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, listen, if you have never done this before, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, embrace. I turned that into two words. I don't know how I did that. Em, embrace. We want to embrace the dogma of the Holy Spirit. And as charismatic Christians, we want to reject real narrow, high-minded, uh, dogmatic principles if we really want to be any good. You know, I, I love the Scripture, and I should have looked it up, but it just hit me right now. But the one that says that all of creation is waiting for the sons and the daughters of God to appear. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit spread out among a people who are just getting richer, sweeter, less encumbered and judged, who would have thought this great big old mess in Acts 19, 1 through 7, could teach us all of this about life and faith and mission? Amen. Woo! Okay. I almost started preaching, Barry. All right. So here's how we're going to end. I, I, I do want to pray for all of you. 
I also want you to know that there are altar ministers here today, and they'll step up. If we can pray with you about anything in your life, um, anybody in your life that you want agreement for, come up and pray. If you want to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit, that's how I stepped into it. I recognized I'd been living like this with the Holy Spirit. I had to take that step forward. Some of us might want to do that today. And just say, God, here by faith, would you fill me to overflowing? Would you baptize me in your Holy Spirit? Trust me, it is the best swim you will ever take, all right? All right, let me pray for us. Altar ministers, y'all come up. And let's, uh, let's just lift up these folks. God, in Jesus' name, oh, we love you. And Father, I, I, I am so thankful for these 12 men in Acts 19. And um, God, I, I think about those days when, when I was just a knucklehead spiritually, And here are 12 men who show up, and they're so confused, and they're so turned around. And yet, God, they help us to see. They help us to see what it means to walk with you in this world. And so, God, we as a people, we we all come from different places. But, God, today we just say that we need the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, we don't say that that, uh, God the Father and God the Son are God, and you're kind of the tail on the kite. You are God. And you have been poured out upon the church, among the church, on the church. You are the seal by which we are marked with salvation. You are God, and we welcome you in Jesus' name. We just want to make room in our lives. We welcome your conviction. We welcome your empowering. We welcome your revelation. We welcome the joy you bring. We welcome the, the way you come and you energize us for mission. And Holy Spirit, we just recognize, like in the book of Acts, when you touch us, we are never the same. And so we invite that touch. We do not want to be on this earth and just tread water until we go to heaven. We don't want to... Um, I just, Lord, we do not want to run a religious treadmill... We want to be filled to overflowing with the Spirit of the living God. And I thank you that in this room today, there are prophets, there are preachers, there are teachers, there are, the, there are those that, that you are calling, that you, you are even wanting right now to place a gift on, a gift of faith, a gift of knowledge, a prophetic gift, e- even to speak in other tongues. Father, we, we don't for one second want to explain away anything you want to do. But, Father, we desire that this church would be all it is meant to be. Father, whether we call it a fountainhead, whether we call it a revival center, whether we want to call it a Great Commission church, Lord, we want to see KPC flowing in the things of God, preaching the Word of God, praying and enjoying everything you you would do here among us. So, God, be glorified. God, be glorified in every person in this place. We thank you, we love you, we honor you in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, have a wonderful day, watch the Carolina game tonight.